Well, it's great to be here this morning and to join together to worship and to hear from God, isn't it? It's great to do it together. It's good to do it by ourselves, but I think there's something special and precious about the privilege of doing it together. And so um, it's great to be here and to see you all and to be, I'm excited about what God is already stirring up within us um, for what's ahead. Um, this year in 2015. Our, our first series is I Have Decided. And we talked about last week about the fact that when we have a new year, we decide or we, we make resolutions about certain things. And sometimes they're just like, oh, I hope, I want to do this. But I Have Decided is a bit more definite than that. It's actually you've made a decision and now you're going to act on it. And so what things have you decided already for 2015? Last week, Jess spoke to us about, I have decided to read the Word of God. And that was an incredibly powerful and challenging message as we were stirred to remember to take on what God has given us as, as his living Word. He breathes life into it. It's not just something that was written a long time ago. It is, it is life today for you and me. And it, God will speak directly into our spirits through his Word. So who has really taken on that challenge and has decided, made the decision and acted on it? I don't, you don't need to put your hand up, but think about it. Have you decided to read the Word of God in 2015, more than ever before, that it becomes your life and breath as God speaks into you and empowers you? Another thing that we need to decide to do, and I'm going to speak to you today about or share about, is to pray. These are things you can say, Pam, we know this. We've been told this since we were young, or even if you're new in church, we've heard these things before. We know we've got to read the Bible. We know we've got to pray. These are things we have to do. But it's not about having to do it. I want you to understand this is not about something that you have to do. It's not about ticking a box, all right? This is not about that. This is about an opportunity to engage with the God of heaven. This is an opportunity for us to grow and to walk in power and strength in our lives. This is what God gives, it to, gives his word for. This is why he gives us this incredible privilege of communing, of communicating with him. Not just talking to him, but listening to him. Um, you would have heard of Christine Kane, many of you, known probably most to you as the founder of the anti-human trafficking campaign, A21. Well, about 20 years ago, she was much younger and she was the leader of Youth Alive, which is a, a statewide youth program um, out of Hillsong, and she was the leader of that. And late, in the late 1990s, she had a real burden for the church and, she, and for, the, for, for us in, in Australia and, and around the world to come together and really lift up the name of Jesus. And so at this time, the Sydney Olympic Park was being built. And she used to go and sort of find her way into the park because they don't like you to be on the building site. She'd find her way through and she would go to the stadium and, and she would sit on the edge of that building site and she would pray for hours. She said, I used to sit on the edge where the deep holes were dug to pour the foundations and my tears would drip into the cement. She prayed that God's glory would be revealed through the one gathering of his people in one place, lifting up one voice in worship to God. 
Now, this site is now the All Phones Arena in Sydney Olympic Park, and this is the place where thousands gather every year for the biggest conference in Australia. Not just Christian conference, but biggest conference. 20,000 people meeting every day for five days at Hillsong Conference. The place where she wept tears into the foundations of that building is the place where Hillsong Conference is held today. Evan Roberts was a Welshman. He was born in the 19th century and he was so burdened for the people of Wales to know Christ that he prayed fervently for 10 years. 10 years he gave to praying for the people of his country. And at the conclusion of that time, in 1904, Wales experienced a revival that was incredible. 100,000 people accepted Christ as Saviour in under six months. That was at the end of 10 years of fervent praying. Dr. Paul Yongi Cho in South Korea said that he attributes the church's conversion rate of 12,000 per month to ceaseless prayer. In South Korea, in the latter part of the 20th century, the Christian population grew from 1.8% to 40.8%. Cho says that any church, any church, will see this phenomenal growth if they're willing to pray the price. In East Germany, people met in small groups of 10 and 12 away from the, the, the view of people because you weren't allowed to in East Germany to pray out in public. And so they met hidden away in homes to pray for peace. By 1989, the numbers had swelled to 50,000 that they knew of, meeting on a Monday night for prayer. And at the conclusion of 1989, 300,000 came out into the streets praising God as the wall came tumbling down. In America, it's, they had a survey, and it was surveyed by, it was done amongst charismatic churches, um, independent churches, that pastors pray 22 minutes a day for their church, less in mainline churches. In Japan, they pray 44 minutes a day, and in China, 120 minutes a day. It's interesting that the growth rate of churches in those countries is directly proportional to the amount of time pastors are spending in prayer. China is the fastest growing church in the world, underground. You know, from the day of Pentecost, there has not been one spiritual awakening in any land which has not begun without prayer. Even if it's only been two or three people gathering, it has come from prayer. And you know, no such movement has continued where prayer has not been sustained. So it, it tells us that prayer not only brings us to seeing revival, but it will sustain it. Now, I've just selected a few. I was reading. I couldn't stop reading. There are so many amazing stories about revival that have come out of prayer. It just blows your mind right across the world. It's, you, you know, obviously, there are books written about it, but I was just reading yesterday, and I didn't want to stop. It was so exciting when you hear about what God does in response to his people praying. And so I just want to give you a snapshot this morning to start off the message about why we should decide to pray. Because prayer brings God into the situation. Prayer brings supernatural intervention into our lives. It brings change. 
It will take something that, and with what we can do with it and it will transform it by the power of Almighty God into something that only he can do. And that's why we pray. We pray because we need God. We pray because we can't do it on our own. We pray because he is the answer. And I, when I was preparing for this message, straight away God said to me, I want you to look at Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is, is an incredible book, and I encourage you, the other day we, we sat and read the whole book through, and it's just an amazing book. So if you get time, just stop and read the whole book of Nehemiah because it, the story and what, how God works in that situation, there's so much in it. And this morning in these few minutes, I haven't got time to look at all of that. But what I do want to do is say, why did Nehemiah decide to pray? So if you could turn your Bibles to Nehemiah, we're going to look through a few verses from chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5. So it would be good if you've got your Bibles. If you haven't, there's some up the back there in the, in the foyer. You can go and grab one because it'll help you if you've got them. I'm referring to the text that's um, the New Living Translation, which is the church Bible. So Nehemiah decided to pray. Why? Because there was this situation that he was in. He found out that... Um, the Jews that had remained, there was a very small group. When the Jews were put into exile, most of the Jews were taken to Babylon. But there were a few Jews who remained in Jerusalem. And what had happened is that the city had fallen into ruins. This was the city of God. This was a very special place, and it had fallen into ruins in every aspect of it. And so God, through a message, let Nehemiah know about this, and he was brokenhearted. His first response, his first reaction was just to to cry. He was so devastated by this news that the city of God had been allowed to fall into this state of disrepair. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's first reaction was a typical human reaction, and certainly probably mine, that I sit down and cry. Oh my goodness, this is terrible, and you're upset about it. And often that happens in our lives, things happen, situations happen, and we get upset about them, and that's, where, that's as far as it goes, we're just upset. And we, we stay in that state of being upset. But we have to go beyond that. We have to counteract that initial reaction. And how did Nehemiah do that? It went on to say that he counteracted this with mourning, fasting, and prayer. Now, mourning is different just to crying and being sad. Mourning is where you are so moved by something, you are burdened by it deep in your spirit, that you are stirred. You are stirred to action, not just to, to be sad, but you're stirred to act. And he acted by fasting and praying, by seeking God. And you know, all of heaven's power becomes focused on our situation when we are willing to weep, pray, and fast for what is truly important in this life. Like Nehemiah, we have a powerful tool at our disposal to counteract difficult situations in our lives. It's the mighty weapon of prayer. Do we use it? Or do we just allow the situations to overwhelm us? Look at 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons. 
See, if we try and do it in our own strength, we're going to come crashing down because we haven't got the strength that is needed. We haven't got the capacity to, to, to handle some of the things that come into our lives. But the weapons that have been given to us are made powerful for God for tearing down strongholds. That's incredible. That's powerful. And God has given us prayer. He's given us this privilege of communicating with him, of engaging him and bringing him into the situation, allowing him to be God. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And Nehemiah didn't pray because it was time to pray. We have times to pray. We, sort of, we might begin a meal and say we have this sort of tradition of praying. Or, you know, we take up the offering and we pray. There's things what we do, and I'm not saying they're bad things, but we can just sometimes get into a bit of a, a, a rote sort of pattern, a habit of praying, and not really engage with the God of heaven. We just pray because we're asked to or because that's what you should do. And certainly, you know, there is a spiritual discipline about praying. And that sometimes we may not always feel like praying, but we should still pray. And that's what the discipline is. But we need to pray out of a real concern in our hearts. When is the last time that you really prayed because you were burdened by something? Not just out of habit or because this is what you have to do or you should pray going to bed or whatever, but where something is put upon your heart and it's, it's driven you to your knees and you have prayed because there is no other way forward than to seek God himself. When is the last time that you were so burdened by someone's soul, by the fact that they're, they're heading to hell, that they don't have the joy and, and, and victory that we have and they're going to, to eternity with God, the opposite direction. When has that burdened you? Someone that you love, where it's burdened you to the point that it's driven you to your knees to pray for them and to keep praying until you see salvation. Remember, Ian's mum prayed for 15 years for Ian to be saved. 15 years, driven to her knees because of the burden for her son. And we see the victory of that. We see the power of prayer in Ian's life. When is the last time you, you bore the burden of a fellow Christian and you said you carried that, you're going to pray it through until the victory was won, taking it to God in prayer? This sort of prayer requires a heart response. It's not just a thing to do. It's not just a ticker box. This is a decision. This is a decision to pray. Too often, I read this, we pray without crying, we give without sacrificing, we live without fasting. Is it any wonder we sow without reaping? Nehemiah never could have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem until he wept over the ruins. The burden led to prayer that led to the miracle. You are going to see miracles when you pray because you are moving the hand of God and he will act. Tears are a language God understands. Hallelujah, I say to that. <laughs> For those of you who know me, then that's, you already see it today in today's message. So. <laughs> but praise God, he understands. He wants a heart that's moved. He doesn't want a hard heart. He doesn't want people just to be able to block it all out and just go on. He wants us to be moved to respond to him. And he is moved by what we are moved by. 
So when our hearts are moved for the salvation of souls, he is moved by that, and you will see salvation. It says those in Psalm 128, verses 5 and 6, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Hallelujah. So let's look at Nehemiah's prayer in verses 5 to 11. Can you go back to chapter 1? O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honoured. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. So look at this prayer. It begins out by worshipping God. Right at the onset, he talks about, you are a great and awesome God. He isn't coming to God flippantly. Oh, God, by the way, and I know prayer, people define prayer as a conversation with God, and it is, but it's always with reverence for who God is. We should never come into his presence flippantly. It's not like a high five, God, great, here I am, let's see what we can do today. No, God is sovereign God, almighty God, and whenever we come into his presence, we should do it with reverence. Jesus showed us how. He taught us how to pray. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You are to be revered. You are to be recognized as holy. And so we begin at that point of recognizing who God is. And you know, when we're in situations that are difficult, we don't need a God that we want to high-five. We, we need a God who is going to be powerful and strong and who is going to move in a way that is beyond what we can even imagine, great and powerful, so great that when we seek him, we can't help but kneel in his presence because we are so humbled by who he is. Then Nehemiah went on to confess in Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I have, had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So that's an important reminder for us. If we have sin in our heart, God cannot hear our prayer. We need to confess any sin and, and ask for him to cleanse us so that we can come into the presence of a holy God. And then Nehemiah went on to acknowledge the promises of God. You see, the word of God that Jess reminded us about last week is so powerful and so full of promises for us. And when we come, we can say to God, God, we're praying for someone for healing. God, you said, I am the God who heals you. 
So I know that I bring this request because you are the God who heals. You are going to heal. God promises us. He said, do not be afraid for I am with you. And so if we're fearful, we come into his presence, we acknowledge his word and say, God, you said, do not be afraid because you are with me. And so I do not have to have fear when I come into the presence of God. He has given us these promises and, and the, the word of God is full. That's why we need to read the word, to, to see and to hear and to receive the promises of God for us. And then when we're praying, we say to God, this is the promise I'm claiming from you. And then we bring our request. God's not Santa Claus. is not making the list out, okay, checking it twice. <laughs> it's not that. God wants us to bring our needs to him. But it's not just like, this is what I want, this is what I want. It's not all about self-serving. That's not what praying is about. Praying is certainly bringing our heartfelt requests before God, but not trying to manipulate God to get what we want. So then Nehemiah's in the midst of this situation. What he wants to do is to um, be able to go back to Jerusalem, but he's the cupbearer for the king. And so really he, he isn't able to leave the king's presence. And so what he's doing, this prayer was about asking that the king would give him permission to return to Jerusalem. So this is a, this is a very difficult thing to come before the king and ask. He could get into a lot of trouble for even daring to ask this of the king. And so he's in the midst of this situation right before the king. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. So here he is, Nehemiah's there with the king, and the king says, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. So before he even spoke, in the midst of the situation, he sought God. He didn't take a step without seeking God. And we need to do that in our lives. Too often, we might do a lot of stuff and then pray God to bless it. Or we might ask God about something and then we just get into, the, the, you know, into action and we go on and we, we don't ask God again. We just keep on the path. But here he is, right in the middle of the situation, immediately he thinks, I can't even speak this without seeking God's covering and seeking God's wisdom in this situation. And that's what he does. And of course, what prayer does in that, when you do that, if you're in a difficult situation, I've done this myself when I've been you know, in interviews and I want to have wisdom, then I've sat there and actually quietly in my head prayed to God before I've responded. Because what it does is brings the presence of God into the situation. And what can be better than that? What can be more powerful than that? What will always make sure that the, the situation will be the best that it can be if God's presence is there? And so Nehemiah went on to ask to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when you do that, when you seek God like that, you can expect breakthrough. When we seek him and acknowledge his sovereign power and his control in our lives, then we can expect that God will break through the situation. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. And the king granted these requests. Why? Because the gracious hand of God was on me. He didn't take anything on himself saying, you know, because I sought God and, you know, I did, did the right thing now, you know, things are good. The only reason he recognizes that he has had, you know, a way forward with this where there has been a breakthrough is because of God's 
hand on him, his intervention in the situation. Nehemiah was totally depending on God. He wasn't relying on people. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I'd not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. I'd not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. You know, sometimes there's a danger that as soon as we get a problem, what's that, what, who do we go to first? People. We start talking about it. We start saying, oh, you know, I've got this, what do you think? And we start wanting to get people's opinions and ideas and thoughts. And what immediately we've done is we've, we've blocked out the most powerful source of help that we can get. And it's so easy for us to try and seek the help of people instead of seeking God. And we spend too much time working before men, trying to get them on side so they can help us. We think we need people in this. We need this help to get us through. And I think we spend too little time waiting before God. Because if we have him on our side, that's all we need. You know, if we took 1% of the energy that we put into trying to make things happen and invested that into prayer, I think we'd see an exponential increase in victory and blessing. But, you know, even if we do need people to help us, at the right time, if we've sought God, the people will come on board because they will see God at work in your life and they'll want to be a part of what God's doing. People love to be a part of the move of God. They love to see God at work and they want to get on board with that. So look at verse 18. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. Because this was quite miraculous what happened with the king releasing Nehemiah to go. And when the people heard about this, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. And so at the right time, if you're doing it in God's time, he will bring all the resources you need and, and it will be a testimony to him and what he's doing in your life. In verse 20, he, Nehemiah goes on to say, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. See, when we decide to pray, we can have confidence because God is involved. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be worried. We can go on. Praying is an antidote to fear. Now, if you turn over to chapter 4, verse 4, they're now rebuilding the wall. They've got, he's gone to Jerusalem. He's got all that he's needed. Read the story. It's really interesting to hear how it all happened. And then they're rebuilding the wall. They're, they're at that stage. And Nehemiah says he's, he's got opposition. Don't you know it? When you're doing the work of God, you're going to get opposition. It's just ha what happens. The devil hates to see us doing well in God. And so he tries to bring opposition. What does Nehemiah do? He's already made a decision in his life every time he prays. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. When we have difficulties in our lives, it's important that we immediately allow God to be involved in the situation. Bring him in and he will deal with the opposition. And he will intervene and do amazing things. Now finally, this is as far as we can get today with um, this passage and the time we have. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. 
And this is an important one, I'm, and this is a challenge to us today. And I'm really asking you to think about this really seriously. Nehemiah's building the wall. They've got this opposition. People are trying to fight them. And so Nehemiah makes this decision. And he says, I'm going to have half of you to build and half of you to stand guard over these people who are building. Look at verse 16. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah. You know, behind every great work of God, there is a kneeling figure. Behind every leader, there needs to be a kneeling figure, a person who will say, I will pray for you every day. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to inland China. And uh, he went, like, his story in itself is an incredible story. And he, he was an incredibly sacrificing and committed man. But he told the story of a couple, a missionary couple, who were in charge of ten stations in inland China. They wrote to their home secretary because they had, progress had ceased. There was nothing happening. And they just felt like there was blockages on every level. And they urged the Home Secretary to find people, intercessors, people who would pray for, the state, for each of these stations. After a while, in seven of those stations, opposition melted, spiritual revival broke out, and ch the churches grew strongly. But in three, there was no change. When that missionary couple returned home on the next furlough, the secretary cleared up the mystery because he's thinking, why in these three? And he said, I'm sorry, we're only able to get seven intercessors out of ten. And so for the seven where they had intercessors, the victories were being won, and for the three where they couldn't, the work was being blocked. You know, the greatest thing that any one of us can do for God and for man is to pray. And Nehemiah realized that there are many things you can do after you pray, but there is nothing you can do until you pray. There are many things you can do after you pray, but nothing until you pray. So what are you going to decide about prayer in 2015? Are you going to make a decision to pray? To get down on your knees and to seek God to take the burdens of your heart to God and let, let him become involved and see supernatural miracles happen, see salvations, see healing, see breakthrough in business because that's the God that we serve. He will do those things. You can decide to pray individually. This is something we should all do. You can decide to pray by joining with us. You know, this morning in, in prayer we had... Um, Three people, four, five by the end. You know, this is a church of, of 200 people. We need more people praying. We have Monday mornings. It might be too early for people, quarter to seven. Thursday evenings at 5.30. They're just the times that we get together. Or why don't you start your own? Just get together with some friends and pray. It doesn't have to be a set time, but do it. Pray together for the church, for the city, for the people in our, our, our area who are lost. We can't see them heading the wrong way. We need to have a burden for these people and see them saved. 
We can be involved in the, in the church 21-day fast. This can be a decision you make. You might not have done it last year. It was interesting what the gentleman spoke to us about this morning. I think it helps us to see it in a new light. Commit to, to fasting something for 21 days and using that time to pray and to seek God through his word. Well, perhaps today God is stirring your heart to commit to being the kneeling figure behind a leader in our church. You know, Satan doesn't care how much I preach about prayer. He doesn't care how much we read about it or talk about it. He only is worried when people pray. So let's decide to pray. It's only when we begin to see that nothing that matters will occur except in answer to prayer, that prayer will become more than an optional program for a faithful few. Instead, it will become the driving force of our church. I want to conclude by reading from Christine Kane's journal. As I looked around the arena, packed to capacity all day, every day, this is as she was standing at the end in the final session of a Hillsong conference, I remembered prayers I had prayed when I was in when I was the Youth Alive director in New South Wales and they were building the arena for the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. This was one of those prayers taken from my prayer journal in 1998. Father, I know that they think they are building these stadiums to facilitate the Olympic Games, but I know you're allowing them to be built in order to house what you're doing, you are going to do amongst your people in this nation and through this nation into the nations of the world. I pray that your glory would be revealed by the gathering of your people in one place, in one accord, with one heart, singing praises to your holy name. Lord, that multitudes would be saved, healed, delivered, and mobilized to advance your kingdom across the four corners of the earth. She's writing this in 1998. May there come a day where these stadiums are bursting at the seams as they struggle to contain the throngs of people coming home. That the church will make them more famous than the Olympic Games ever will. That the mouths of the naysayers, cynics and doubters would be closed as they too marvel at the wonder of your power, glory and strength. As she stood in the final session of Hillsong and looked around the arena at 20,000 people lifting up the name of Jesus, Christine reflected, to be alive and to see with my own eyes God answering such bold, audacious prayers is the most exhilarating feeling. Let us pray. Lord, I believe that our eyes haven't seen, our ears have not heard, and our minds have not yet conceived what you have for those of us who love you and that you will do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that we could ever ask, hope or think, according to the power that works in us. To you, God, be all glory, all honour and all praise in the mighty name of Jesus. No other name than Jesus. The good news, it's the best is yet to come. It's just 11 days into January 2015. Will you join with me, decide to pray and dare to pray things that I once could not have imagined? Where we could pray for salvations 
filling this place, people being saved, people being healed, people having breakthrough in their lives. Are you, would you dare to join me to pray for this? To believe that with God, nothing is impossible.